0: Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com.
1: Man, right on the heels of the girl conversation and stepping into greater waters of life is decisions, and is she the one, and making the choice to step up, and... All of the choices, the stakes, they went from like, do you want to take home wreck or do you want to do badminton yeah. for your elective <laughs> right. to what is your plan with your car that's breaking down? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to buy a new car? Are you going to move for that job offer that's up in San Francisco? It's not that it's gotten a little bit more intense. It's that everything feels like it's on the line now. And how do you make a good decision?
0: Yeah, especially as marriage enters into the picture as well. And then suddenly you're back to money and where you're going to live and grad school and all these things what i love about this chapter in the book killing lions that we're going to read for you today friends chapter on decision making is this helped me hmm. it helped me to just think through right like what's the best way to approach decision making with god like how does someone who really wants to walk with god approach healthy decision making
1: right and it's not just stuck as terminology it's not just in the air it's not just ideas it's not just feelings so there's actually some like real good ways to make these decisions yeah, yeah we line that out
0: yeah we've got some wisdom for you today so welcome back to the ransomed heart podcast john and sam eldridge reading from our book killing lions
1: chapter six decisions decisions Do not fly so high with your decisions that you forget that a decision is but a beginning. Soren Kierkegaard When I was a boy, I loved the choose-your-own-adventure books. At the end of the page, you had a choice to make, usually something simple like, do you climb the mountain even though it looks stormy, or do you head back to the cabin? And depending on your choice, you turned to a new page. I think the appeal for me was having immediate results for my choices. That and being able to peek at what would have happened if I went the other way. I died a lot in those books, come to think of it. And I can't always say it was because I was living on the edge with my choices. Sometimes I just wanted to see what would happen if I chose not to put on the parachute. They weren't always the most creative with their endings. Pretty morbid reading for youth fiction, but hey, some crazy stuff gets printed nowadays. Later, I shifted to those role-playing video games we have mentioned, which gave a heightened range of believability. But life isn't as obvious as those books, with the ability to turn back a few pages. It's not as simple or always as exciting as a video game with so many reset buttons. In the past six months, I have been faced with the following decisions. Should I move down to a friend's place in San Clemente to save money and get out of town? Do I need to sell my car and buy a better one? And if so, which one? Do I need a credit card? I don't have one yet, and several people have told me I need to start building credit, whatever that is. What kind of work should I be looking for now that I quit my last job? The biggest and most daunting decision facing me was this. Do I ask Susie to marry me? Is now the right time? And what does that mean for our future if I do? Sometimes I wish I had what Melchizedek gave Santiago in The Alchemist just before he set out on his journey. Take these, said the old man, holding out a white stone and a black stone that had been embedded at the center of his breastplate. They are called Urim and thumim, The black signifies yes and the white no when you are unable to read the omens they will help you to do so i think they would get ground to dust pretty quickly if we had them but we don't making a decision can feel like a shot in the dark instead i have a computer my personal looking glass into the circus of information and possibilities i've spent a lot of time in front of a computer screen looking for jobs and grad schools Most everyone since the turn of the century has devoted time to the glowing God, but I have spent hours upon hours digging through the torrent of information trying to find answers. I'm not sure how my grandfathers found employment, probably just by walking the door somewhere or through a mutual friend, but these days I wade through online web postings and alumni connections. I have pored over listings and online reviews and search engines for graduate programs The only real difference I noticed between the online search and the massive convention I attended in Chicago was the noise level. We live in the age of information, says the old recording of an announcer in my head. So why does finding direction feel like a parade of hopeless metaphors? I'm drinking from a fire hose and snorkeling through mud. I've been handed a spyglass and told it holds the key, only to gaze through and find the chaos of a kaleidoscope. More information doesn't seem to help. I feel like I'm drowning in it. I just learned how to tie a shamog, found the best noodle bar in the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport, show you, and discovered 12 tips to the ultimate workout. It always involves buying something, which is weird. When I look for a job or try to map out my dreams or some other future-oriented activity, somehow it almost always feels futile eventually. I've tried making pro and con lists, but they've taken me nowhere. Realistically, I was only guessing as to the obvious benefits and consequences, but I doubt I had any real idea what I was actually weighing. Once I made a timeline of several possible future paths, like I was trying to peek in my own choose-your-own adventure. It was much less exciting, and when I dug it back up the other day, almost nothing had panned out like I thought it would. Every so often, as the threat of becoming stagnant creeps in, I'll ask myself, what are my dreams? Where do I want to be in five years? as though it will give me a clear picture of where I want to be moving. It always fails for one reason or another. The answers that spring up feel too vast or too vague. How does change the world or live an important life or write or do something creative and exciting, map out what to do this afternoon or tomorrow or the day after? I get stuck in the broad, the vast. I feel like I am in the middle of the desert with no discernible features in any direction and no clue which way to start walking. Up to the point of college, the biggest decisions we were forced to make was between home economics and outdoor sports as an elective, or white and brown rice at Chipotle. Now every choice affects our career, our relationships, where we live, how we will survive, and each one feels more weighty than all those before it. Yes, it feels that way. The 20s sure feel like the decade
0: of decision-making, don't they? Money, jobs, women, love, revolutions, dreams... Everything we've been talking through is going to require some serious and sometimes constant decision-making on your part. And though I feel our decisions are weighty, they aren't nearly as overwhelming as they feel when we're faced with them. I have never found pressure a good motivator for making decisions, nor found decisions made under pressure to be particularly good ones. So, let me first try and lift some of the pressure off the decision-making process. Your generation has been inundated with the promise that, You can do anything. The cliche is a staple of every graduation speech, as you said, but it began far back in elementary school with good old Dr. Seuss. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who'll decide where to go. Heady and exhilarating stuff for a first grader. The college graduate begins to lose the jaunty promise and feel the weight of decision-making descend. A limitless universe of options is not a gift, not even an opportunity to dream. It is overwhelming, paralyzing, and untrue. You can't do everything. The future is not an endless horizon before you. You cannot simply head off in any direction. Given who you are and how you're wired, Sam, you will never, ever be a professional baseball player. Concert cellist, orthopedic surgeon, mathematician, or member of parliament. You get my point. The list is actually quite long. When you consider your age, your situation, your gifting and training, the country in which you live, the economic forecast, I think you'll find that the horizon is not nearly as vast as you've been told, or as the internet makes it seem. The truth is, the options before you are limited, and that is a great relief, the open ocean is beautiful to look at, but terrifying if you have to navigate it in a small boat, but you are not facing the open ocean. God puts us within a context with a limited gifting and limited
1: resources,
0: and that is immensely kind.
1: You know, this actually sounds discouraging, like you are taking away from the bright future of possibilities. You sound like a naysayer.
0: Not at all. When Jesus said, "Broad is the way to destruction." Narrow is the path to life, we don't recognize it for the relief it is. A road as vast as the horizon is no road at all. If you were driving from New York to L.A. and the road before you was 20 miles wide, you would wander back and forth for weeks, turning in wrong directions, constantly trying to find your way. Now, add the chaos of hundreds of thousands of other motorists trying to do the same. Of course the Broadway leads to destruction. Columbia business professor Sheena Einar conducted some well-known research on consumer choices, how folks respond to the myriad of jams and jellies on a store shelf. Given five to choose from, people make a choice. But given 25 to choose from, they simply walk away in indecision with no jam at all. She said that, in reality, people find more and more choice to actually be debilitating. Do you remember our trip to Buenos Aires? The main road through downtown was called Avenida Nueve de Julio. It is the widest avenue in the world, up to seven lanes running in both directions. Now, picture yourself as an ant trying to find his way home using so broad a path. This is the psychological effect of telling the Internet generation you can do anything. It simply isn't true. When you begin to factor in decisions based on reality, opportunity, finances, and the constraints of love, I think you'll find the road to life refreshingly narrow. That is, a path you can actually follow.
1: A friend of mine gave me the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. In it, Frankl recalls his first-hand experience of the Holocaust. And one of the things he comes to believe is this. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. Personally, I agree with the sentiment. I wouldn't want to believe that everything was predetermined because at the end of the day, I am a pragmatic and I need to function like I have a choice, no matter how difficult it is to make.
0: Me too. Pascal called it the dignity of causation. Our choices matter. The truth is, as helpful as Urim and Thummim might be, They are a degrading, Vegas-style approach to decision-making. A man wants to feel like his choices matter. By saying I don't believe your choices are limitless or even vast, I don't mean to say they aren't weighty. Our choices are weighty. While traveling through Eastern Europe a few years ago, I was approached by a priest earnest to know more about learning to hear the voice of God. I had lectured on the topic the previous evening. He pulled me aside and through an interpreter confessed that his means of decision-making was a dice, which he painted red and green on varying sides. He would ask God a question and then roll the dice for the answer. Sort of a homemade Urim and Thummim, I suppose. But to be honest, it felt desperate and frighteningly unreliable. You do not want to gamble with your major life decisions, and you don't have to. I think the yearning for stones to throw comes out of that place in us that feels overwhelmed. We feel once again that life is up to us. We forget we are sons and feel in the moment like orphans. You are on your own, as Dr. Seuss said. But just like finances or women, the decision-making process has a reality to it and rules to follow, which if we'll accept can turn the whole thing back into an adventure with God not a kaleidoscope of confusing images.
1: Our adolescent culture really does play into our confusion. With so many answers supposedly on the other side of our keyboards, we often won't ask for counsel, and even more often don't want to ask anyway. I have found myself swinging between being impulsive and being immobilized. And from what I've seen, I'm not alone. If the choice is up to us and no other guidance is forthcoming, the only natural response in a culture of instant gratification is either to jump at something, anything, or to never jump at all. Those that don't jump usually have found some kind of escapism by creating a small world that they feel safe in, or by sinking into the imaginary worlds of TV shows and video games. Avoiding that, we might hitch our wagon to the latest revolution, simply wanting to catch some of the momentum and meaning it seems to offer. If all we are doing is spending time and energy on a product, not stepping into something we believe is right for us, It is only a matter of time before all that's left is buyer's remorse.
0: Remember, we are reframing a decade. Exploration and transformation. As Kierkegaard said with such kindness, do not fly so high with your decisions that you forget that a decision is but a beginning. Your decisions are meaningful, but not irrevocable, especially not in your 20s. Tattoos at this point are probably the only irreversible decisions. The wonderful thing about the 20s and 30s is that if you don't like the path you've chosen, you can change it. I chose a direction towards Washington, D.C. at 28. I left it by 31, went back to grad school, nights and weekends, and made a total course correction by 35. Take a deep breath. Let's talk about the process of decision-making. You are choosing the road less traveled by choosing to leave adolescence behind. You're countercultural already. Maturity grows as we accept the constraints that are before us. The boy will never be an astronaut. You will never work in medicine. Even more importantly, let us remember we are sons. God really does have a path for us if we will seek it with all our hearts. So let me offer a few questions or categories that I have found immensely helpful when I'm trying to get clarity. Am I doing something impulsive? The boy never wants to wait and he can get us into some real trouble. Impulsiveness can be fun, but impulsive decisions are about as reliable as a weekend in Vegas. It takes courage to wait for clarity, especially when everyone around you is rushing off to join the Peace Corps, fight trafficking, take an internship in D.C., or record their first album. Sex and tattoos are notoriously impulsive, but so is choosing a major, quitting a job, or joining the armed forces. As C.S. Lewis said, Perfect love, we know, casteth out fear. But so do several other things. Ignorance, alcohol, passion, presumption, and stupidity. Save your impulsive decisions for shoes, restaurants, and cannonballing into waters of unknown temperature. Next, is this wise? A difficult thing to know at your age, wisdom is gained almost exclusively by living many years. But you can borrow the wisdom gained by those who are older than you. How many people have you asked for counsel? It takes humility to ask advice. Young men are renowned for wanting to make decisions on their own, but that is the first sign of a lack of wisdom. Which brings me to, what do my friends, family, and mentors think? Guys come under a lot of false pressure trying to figure out life on their own. This is where femininity sails past us. Women are far more likely to ask for advice. Breathe the fresh air of knowing you were never meant to make weighty decisions on your own. I find it fascinating that Jesus spent an entire night in prayer, alone on the mountain, before he chose the men who would be his twelve closest apprentices. That's really freeing. Not even the Son of God tried to figure life out on his own. Despite a fairly decent GPA, I got kicked out of high school because I continually skipped class. Once free, I never intended to darken the door of any school again. I was going to be an actor, which, given my independence and immaturity at the time, was on a par with, I'm running off to join the circus. When I met Christ a year later, I went to my first Bible study. Just before heading out the door to go to the gathering, my mom said to me for the umpteenth time, bless her, you really ought to go to college. That night, the leader of the study was teaching on guidance. He said, even though you're young adults, God will still use your parents as a source of counsel. For example, maybe they're saying you ought to go to college. You could have heard an audible thud as my jaw hit the floor. I had never before experienced the creative capacity of God to speak into our stories. The next morning, I went down to the local community college and registered for classes, which was a really good decision. Get counsel from a reasonable source, for heaven's sake. The best counselors are those folks who have a few miles of life they've traveled and who are hooked up into a real relationship with God. Next, ask yourself, how much of my false self or woundedness is actually fueling this decision or indecision? The more you know yourself, the more this will prove an immensely helpful category. And please, as Socrates urged, do not live an unexamined life. Know yourself. What are you historically prone to do when it comes to making decisions? If yours is a story filled with indecision, that confusion might have nothing to do with clarity and everything to do with fear or shame or a wounded heart. A young man afflicted with relational paralysis, he just couldn't commit to the girl he was dating, came to my friend Craig for counsel. They discovered that his indecision was rooted in a childhood wound. As a boy, he loved music, but his father shamed him for it. He killed his dream and his desire, and for years afterwards, he could not discover what to do with his life. It had nothing to do with clarity. What was needed was healing. Are you typically driven by a desire to please others? You don't want to choose a grad school, a career, or even a spouse just to make someone else happy. Are you ruled by insecurity? You don't want your false self committing you to a profession simply because it's safe. Don't give your false self the keys to the car. Next, ask yourself, am I holding back from stepping up? As a man, this is something I always need to watch out for. Given our core fear of failure, leading the parade of fools, twirling my baton, and given the DNA we got from Adam, who was paralyzed in his moment of greatest trial, I need to be honest with myself and ask, is it simply fear that has me confused right now? Confusion is a nice way out of tough decisions. For example, you want to ask a girl out, but you're, quote, not sure. What we usually mean by not sure is that we aren't sure what she'll say. She might say no. This isn't so much a matter of guidance as it is one of courage. In this case, what's the worst that can happen? Paralysis, masquerading as confusion, haunts every man when a looming decision will require a lot of us. Make note of that. Don't let it keep you from seeing the light in front of you. God is here to help us with our fears, but only once we name it as fear and we don't hide behind, I just don't know what to do. Finally, ask yourself, what do I sense God saying about this? You are friends with the brightest person in the universe. Have you asked his opinion on the matter? This seems so obvious, but you'd be surprised at the number of Christians who don't ask God or give him more than a day to respond. Now, learning to hear the voice of God, learning to recognize his counsel is something we grow into, but my goodness, take some time to cultivate this in your life. Over the course of his journey, Santiago gets better and better at reading the signs or omens. Read Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, or one that I wrote called Walking with God. It's a helpful book, and only false modesty would keep me from mentioning it here. Yes, it can be frustrating at times, waiting for his guidance. Don't let the boy sabotage this with his impatience. Driving home yesterday, I was angry and impatient with the car in front of me. I made a move to pass, fueled by angry passion. My action nearly caused an accident. Sixty seconds later, I looked up and saw a road sign that said, "'Do not pass.'" It had a holy weight to it. I felt busted. God speaks in all sorts of creative and playful ways. The real issue is, are we willing to listen? Young men in their 20s are in a season of developing courage. It takes courage to seek God and courage to wait for his reply. Resist the false urgency most decisions present themselves with. Honestly, this will rescue you. Most urgent decisions... Actually, aren't. You can almost always buy yourself another day or week to get the clarity you need. Reject false pressure to come to a hasty decision, especially in matters as weighty as college or career or love. Invite God into the process and give him more than a minute
1: or a day to respond. These questions were critical for me when it came down to my choice to propose to Susie. It was the biggest decision I had made yet by a long shot. And with that came the confusion and fear that I might be acting too soon. I couldn't always get a clear answer to all those categories. Sometimes I would hear from God, but would doubt what was fueling the pressure of my timing. In the end, I knew it wasn't impulsive. Choosing to marry Susie was one of the wisest choices I could make. My friends and family completely supported us. And when I felt God give the green light, I stepped forward into asking for her hand.
0: I was really honored when you asked Mom and me into that process. I love the way you approached it with honesty, vulnerability, and strength. In the end, after weighing all things, you simply stepped up and played the man. It was beautiful. In my experience, lack of clarity typically comes from one of three reasons. God is wanting to speak to something else, like your story of asking for career guidance, but what he wanted to speak to was identity. Or our false self and woundedness is flaring up, as with an unnamed fear or paralysis or insistence on taking one course when all the evidence argues for another. And finally, some sort of spiritual opposition. This becomes especially true the more you're trying to step into your true place in the world. Do you really think that your enemy
1: plans on letting you just sashay into that? That last bit rings particularly true. It isn't always the decision-making that is the hard part. I know too many stories of guys who got counsel and felt like they were stepping into the right path, only to have it all come crumbling around them. Take my friend Jay, for example. He had a really strong passion for music and young kids, and after a year or so of prayer, he started a worship ministry that seemed great. Not a month went by before his girlfriend was in a serious accident, his partner bailed for personal reasons, and his music was done. It's like his dream was hit with a sledgehammer. What is with this opposition? okay. Now we
0: are on to something really vital. Just as we couldn't press into the issues of love and women until we addressed identity, so we cannot go further in decision-making until we address the nature of the world you are stepping into. What kind of story do you really believe you have found yourself in? Hey, gang, if you're not hooked now, I don't know what else we're going to be able to do to convince you (laughs) That, (laughs) that one of the best decisions you can make is to get this book, not only for yourself, just because it speaks to so many of those things that most of us never had spoken to as we were growing up. But oh my goodness, it speaks to the young men in your world that you would love to love on and get a copy for. And it also speaks to parents who are navigating the world of adult children. And that's a whole new phase of parenting, isn't it, folks? Now, we actually only have one more podcast that we're going to devote to this. So we're going to do something a little cruel to you. We're actually going to leave out chapters 7, 8, and 9, really, really good chapters about God and the scriptures and how do you know, how do you know that you know, and how can you trust God, how can you trust the Word of God and And then a phenomenal chapter on spiritual warfare and what that looks like in battling for your life and your hopes and your dreams and the life that you would want to be living. And then a really sweet and poignant chapter from Sam, mostly on what marriage is like in the early years. And so, sorry, we're going to leave those for you to find when you get the book. So hope you're enjoying this. We're sure enjoying Sharing it with you, John and Sam Eldridge, for the
1: Ransom Tart Podcast.